This is Guru Live from BAFTA. I'm Rihanna Dillon. I'm with Tommy Palm, who is the game designer and co-founder of Resolution Games. And you're also one of the people behind Candy Crush Saga, so you're basically to blame for my hours of procrastination. Hello. Pleased to be here. <laughs> now, what are you going to be talking about in your keynote today? Uh, well, I'm talking a little bit about my experience as, um, as starting companies such as Resolution. Resolution is my fifth startup. So I'm um, giving kind of career advice on how to look at starting a studio and, and uh, working with creativity within it. And what is like the kind of the one key bit of advice that you would give, do you think, to sum up in a sentence for people listening at home? Uh, well, I think that, you know, if you want to start a new company, that's one of the most powerful things you can do if you, if you pull it off. So the risk is big, but also the reward if you manage to do it. Hi, good morning. How are you all? You're keen to learn some things? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Tommy, it's so lovely to have you here. Thank you. You've travelled all the way from Sweden to come and uh, chat to you guys today. Uh, he's had an illustrious career. I think you really started Commodore 64. Making, have you actually played a Commodore 64? No. We're really old now, Tommy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> and uh, obviously went on to uh, work at King and brought Candy Cross Arbiter to the mobile, uh, the mobile realm, which is no mean feat. I mean, that's pretty spectacular. Did all right. Did all right, that. <laughs> and of course, now is um, uh, Resolution Games uh, spearheading and pushing forward with a lot of very exciting VR content. So thank you so much for joining us. First of all, do you want to just tell us a little bit about, I think people are always keen to know, because getting into games is always a bit of a weird, twisty, convoluted journey, I think, for most people. Um, how did you get into games? I was a gamer, first of all. I think that's very common for, for most people in games. We, we love to play games. And uh, this was back in the, uh, the 80s. And at that time, it wasn't obvious to me or any of my friends that you could actually have a career in games. One of those things that people were doing on the spare times, making games mostly. So I started with Martin Wilkins, who is an old childhood friend, and he's also one of the co-founders of Resolution now. So we started making games for Commodore 64, and then I studied at the Royal Institute of Technology later on, and I started my first game company in the end of the 90s. So, so Resolution is my fifth startup, actually. Is it any less scary, like the fifth time in, or is it just as scary as the first time? It's definitely less scary now because uh, uh, before there was a lot of financial risk. Yeah. After Candy Crush, there's no more financial risk for me. <laughs> so that was very good. I have a big pile of cash, and that takes a lot of the stress away, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, obviously coming from somewhere like King, you know, this huge I and mean, having like huge success while you're there, was everyone a bit like, are you mad? You're leaving this place to like, you know, go and start up your own thing. I mean, what kind of motivated you to do that? Because I mean. It can't be a bad place to work. No, it was fantastic uh, working there and then uh, getting a chance to be part of that journey and seeing everything from the inside. Um, so King acquired uh, my former company, previous company that I started with another friend, Alexander. Um, that company was called Resolution, uh, sorry, Fabrication Games. Very interesting name. You're forgetting how many companies. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we joined King. King was still under 100 people then, so very different company from what it is now. And the first game we worked on uh, as, as a cross-platform title was, was Candy Crush. And it, it was super interesting to be on the inside of that and seeing all the 
the behind the scenes stuff and the data and, and uh, what you need to do to, to scale a game to that size. I seem to remember that it was uh, from, from the number of requests, it was more than uh, Wikipedia as, as a site. So, really intense number of people uh, accessing. Is it terrifying? I mean, because I mean, it, I mean, it's not just like little numbers. These are like crazy numbers that you probably can't even like pronounce because they're that big, you know? Well, I wouldn't describe it as terrifying. It was just fantastic being part of it. Like we kept saying internally, like we know it can't continue growing like this <laughs> for a really long time. Even from like the first weekend we had uh, this, uh, a uh, competition where we would guess how many downloads we would get. And we were pretty uh, confident that we'd get great downloads, uh, partially because we had the Facebook uh, version of the game out already, and we had millions of, of daily active player on that one. So we knew mm. that they were going to download it, but the numbers were just like way over what we could expect it. And it continued like that for you should sort of really get like a medal from like the games industry because it really did just kind of change everything really and change the way people were looking at stuff. Would you say that's fair to say? Yeah, one of the things that I was really positive, surprised about myself, I kind of always felt that games could be for everybody. And mm. I've, I've tried to get my family to play the games that I'm very <laughs> <Please>. fond of. <laughs> yeah. I've always showed my mother like the games I've been working on. And they've always like, yeah, well, yeah. it's very cute, you know. Like so my like, parents, yeah. <laughs> uh, but with Candy Crush, it was one of the first games that actually like got properly hooked and like, yes, continue playing. And it's like, <laughs> would would send me Facebook requests, and when I wouldn't answer that, it would call me. So it's like, I sent you a Facebook request, but like, <laughs> can you help me pass the next episode? It's like, yes, yes, of course. Uh, I'll go and do that. So that was, that was great to see, and it. I think one of the th great things that smartphone games have done is is really opened up. The, the target group for, for games. And that's going to uh, be helpful for everybody uh, in the games industry and also for consumers. It's better with when there is more people involved. And I think uh, in its core, games are a very, very social experience. Even if you play a single-player game, uh, it is much more fun if you have a friend playing the same game and you can talk to them about it. And, and we know that as gamers, but outside this gamer group that uh, still is very limited number of people, I mean, uh, I think that internet today reaches about 2.4 billion people out of the 7 billion people on, on mm. the earth. And I think we can, one day we'll reach out to everybody. Everybody uh, will play Games, just as you yeah. know, you, you don't call people who watch films something special because they watch film. It's yeah. just something. You I do. mean, do you remember like growing up when you, <clears throat> you'd have a conversation and you say something like, "Oh, you know, like, uh, do you like music or do you like film?" And then suddenly it became a really, really stupid question to ask people because, of course, you like music because, of course, you like film. It's just what films, what music. And I sort of feel like there'll be that point where asking someone, "Do you play games?" is just a stupid. A question because we all play games. It's just whether you play, you know, uh, electronic games, as it were. You know, people play chess, other things. Um, I suppose I never really liked that idea um, that there is that kind of. Some games are quite elitist about what a game is, and we were talking about this before. I mean, if you're playing Candy Crush Locker, an hour to work, an hour on the way back, uh, you know, five days a week, you're a hardcore gamer because that's some serious time you're putting in there. You know, and yeah, you're definitely right. You know, the more game, the more gamers there are, really, um, really the better. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm, I'm very excited about VR. 
when, when you show somebody VR and they see it for the first time, it doesn't matter who they are. Mm. It, it's not just for tech enthusiasts. It, it's your brain realizing that you, know, you can use a computer to trick you into believing that you're somewhere yeah. else. And if it's done well, you'll feel like you've been teleported somewhere else. And yeah. it's this incredibly powerful medium that is showing me, at least uh, I, I'm convinced that you know, we've gone from, from these mainframe computers to personal computers yeah. to smartphones. And the next step is going to be being completely encapsulated in, in, in the virtual world. Um, so it's, it's, it's very it, exciting. It breaks down the barriers, I think, a lot as well, like especially if you've got <clears throat> gesture controls that feel uh, natural. Because, I mean, the controller itself, especially like a console controller, is, it's, it's a terrible way to communicate with a machine. I mean, why is B crouch? Because you've decided it's crouch. And I know that because I've played a lot of games. But actually, if someone else picks it up, they're like, well, why is B crouch? But you know, you yeah. play VR and you have you know realistic hand gestures. You, you actually don't have to explain how to play to anyone, and I think that puts a lot of people off. You know, you give someone Call of Duty and they're like, oh, forget it. <laughs> <There's> no... <laughs> That's a great point. And one of my favorite examples from from like one of the things that smartphone games did is that it it had um, instead of these abstract controls where mm. you have a button representing something else, you have direct controls. Like yeah. you see a lever on the screen, you tap it, and then it switches. And uh, one of my favorite clips on YouTube is, is a bullfrog playing ant crusher. And he, he sees ants and he squishes them with his tongue. And he, of course, he doesn't know that he's playing a game. He's just instantly returned. But it's showing how intuitive that is. You know, if it is a frog can do it, and anyone can do it. And I think it's the same thing a little bit in VR. If you can see your hands and you can touch objects that you see in front of you, it becomes super, super intuitive. Yeah, I had to, I had to go on um, uh, some PlayStation VR. They have a, a demo for this game called The Heist. And it was really, really simple. I mean, you're literally just getting away from a robbery that you've committed or something. And you're driving down the motorway, and some guys are coming and trying to shoot you. And all you've got to do is shoot the guys to get rid of them. And um, just being able to point your hand and shoot where you'd like to go. I was buzzed off that for like about four hours and was just talking to everybody. I was like, but it's amazing. You can shoot people just pointing your hand. And like suddenly it's that, it's that sort of power, that, that sort of amazing feeling that we always wanted from games but never quite have gotten yet. Mm -hmm. That's pretty fair. Yeah. Um, I, do, I, oh, sorry, I keep on. hoping that, you know, one of the reasons I think games are very niche is that that fact that you have like it's very often about shooting people or, or <laughs> like exploding stuff. <laughs> and if you like, most people um, don't want to do that. It's something that as gamers we accept it. That's what you do. You just, like have to hack off these two hundred people before I can go on <laughs> open the door. That, that's okay. But uh, there are so many more things you can do. But you really have to kind of think it through and get interesting game mechanics that's not about chopping people's limb off. I know, it's funny to think of it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why don't we talk a little bit about um, resolution games, like the, the company. Can you give us kind of, sort of a bit of an overview uh, of kind of like your size and your sort of structure within, uh, within there? Sure. So I started uh, it together with, with some um, industry friends in uh, January the, last year. It seems like you just start up all your businesses with friends. Is that kind of how it works? Yes, yes. That's how I love to work. You know, it's, it's people you really like to hang out with. So, And you trust them as well. So Yeah. Hmm. Uh, people have different uh, 
feelings if it's a good idea or not, but from my <laughs> experience, I, I think it's, it's, it's great. It's people that you want to spend time with, and it enables you to have fun, and, and that leads to being more inspired, et cetera, et cetera. So currently, we're 19 uh, people, and uh, we've been doing this for, for a little bit more than a year now, so we're, we're VR veterans. <laughs> Hence the VR guru title yeah. that I've, <laughs> I didn't, wasn't. <laughs> I didn't say that. It's not on my business card. <laughs> I was called the mobile guru at King and then the games guru. But still so basically you've just got guru announced attached to your whatever you do. Yeah. So like if you did like yeah. a fitness channel, you'd yeah, be the yeah. fitness guru. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah. So yeah, uh, at Resolution, we're, we're uh, two teams now. Uh, one of the things I really like is being small teams when it comes to, to game development, especially in something like VR, where it's very new, and it's a very experimental field. Uh, even though we have a lot of experience building games, it's mm. virtually everything we, we kind of conjure up with pen and paper, like, oh, this would be a great idea to work with we test it. And it's like, nah, it doesn't work for some reason. But often we find something that does work, so we kind of integrate that. So we've built, like, I think, 40 prototypes by now, on, on different okay. things that we thought would be a good idea, and, and uh, we now have uh, two games out. But yeah. One real game and one kind of... Other. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think it sort of lends itself having a kind of smaller team when you're kind of pushing into something that's a bit more emerging? Is it just because it's... Maybe it's more kind of like all hands on deck a bit more and it needs to be kind of less structured and more kind of free-flowing and creative? Yeah, well, I think, in general, I really like working with small teams. I've, I've worked with, with bigger teams as well, but it, yeah, everything becomes much more less agile, and, and you have to plan so, everything yeah. much more, and, and uh, you can't really let kind of the software guide you on, on where to go mm. next. Um, I suppose but, it's, mem it's momentum as well, because if you can move quite quickly, you kind of keep everyone's buzz going, whereas if you kind of get stuck down a route, it kind of, it's a bit more demotivating, I, I would guess, I assume. Nah. Uh, and we've seen a lot of uh, like really great games come out of, of super small studios. One thing is that the, the tools available today to developers are so powerful. You can, if you use something like Unreal or Unity, you can really create a lot of things with a, with a very small team. Yeah. So it's, uh, that's great. So in that sense, uh, game development have become much more democratic. I mean, how do you go about kind of choosing the right talent for your team? I mean, how much is it about, especially if you've got a small team, you have to have someone who's going to get on with everyone. I suppose that's quite important, as well as kind of having that sort of skill set. How, how do you pick? So I've always liked uh, to recruit straight out of school quite a lot. So we have uh, a mix of like my old friends, and we're all in the <laughs> 40s now. So we're old and gray and stale. And then uh, we, uh, so with, with um, Alexander, for instance, who I started uh, fabrication games with, my last company, Nostolsky. Uh, he was, I met him through, through school. So he, I, I was speaking at the Royal Institute of Technology where I, I studied myself and he was listening to me and he did his master thesis with me and we, uh, we 
got along really well, and I realized that he was much smarter than me, and it would be a good idea to have a company with him. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's how that started. And same thing here. Like one of the founders now was he was a student before he joined as a as a co-founder of Resolution, and he's fantastic. And he was uh, selected 30 under 30 by Forbes uh, recently. So not bad. No, it's pretty good. Um, I mean, what, what advice would you give to anyone looking to kind of start, you know, like a new startup? In any possible facet of that, really, like financially or creatively, or like what, what advice? I mean, you've started so many. I'm sure you've got some like top tips, things that you would have liked to have known uh, yeah. before you started off. Well, it's a really big, it's a really big subject, and I could speak forever uh, at it. And I want to know, right? Uh, but but yeah, first of all, I, I think. Starting up things is like one of the most powerful things you can do. If you, you can really change the world starting a company. You have Apple, Facebook. These are things that just uh, transform entire uh, society. So knowing that uh, starting up things is something fantastic. If you have yeah. the power to do that, you can change everything. Like one of my favorite uh, Steve Jobs quotes is uh, he realizes at some point that like everything, is, you know, society as we know, it's just made up by other humans, and you don't have to live by those norms. You can just change that, and and then you become. And this moment where Neo in the Matrix just sees <laughs> everything as code and just changes the world. So, you know, you become an entrepreneur. I w that's you know, it's fantastic. If you can pull it off, it, it, because it's it's very tricky, especially in games. Yeah, it's um, like if I I have done some angel investments as an investor, and and investing is in game is super super difficult. There is this saying that I've heard several times: is uh, don't invest in a games company that needs money, and that's <laughs> kind of a paradox, right? Uh, because if you don't need money, you don't have you don't yeah. take other investors, but there is a lot of truth in that. Uh, one of the things uh, behind it is that it's very few games that actually make it financially. Um, that's a fact. Yeah. It's a very hit-driven business, and, and the number one games make a ton of money, but it's very hard to get there. Mm. So, and another factor that comes into play is that even for the companies who made a success, it's very hard for them to reproduce and make another successful game. Um, so investing in game is really tricky. So if you are starting your career and thinking about it, I think one of the most powerful things you can do is think about uh, this quote about only investing in game companies that don't need money. So basically make sure you don't need money. And, and one of the <laughs> things that you can do as, as a, if you're straight out of school, you can. Uh, kind of sponge off your parents and then work in a garage somewhere until you have you know, made at least one or two games. And I've seen a lot of that, and, and a lot of really cool games came out. Marcus Persson was, was mentioned in, in the, the trailer. He wasn't, he wasn't a student. He was working at King, actually. And he made uh, the first version um, of what became Minecraft as a... As a Game jam yeah. or, or a hackathon thing. I'm, I'm not a personal friend with him, so I don't know all the details. Uh, but he, he kind of he was meeting uh, with some of my friends in Stockholm when he was thinking of, of 
of uh, what he would do with, with the game. And yeah, he started yeah. realizing that this has a lot of potential, and he, he spoke to the people at King to see if they were interested in it, mm. but it was very different from what, what King yeah. was doing. And I think that's, that's very good and well. I think he, he did extremely well with what Minecraft became on the side. Yeah, and King did. Bit, I kind of feel a little spot. bit sorry for him, though. I mean, not super sorry for Notch, but quite, I mean, you could never, ever, ever, ever have that success again. It, it would be impossible. That's kind of a bit sad. <laughs> I mean, I don't feel that sad for him. He's done very well. But, um, you know, I'd just become a gardener or something, maybe do something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you, um, so um, obviously Resolution has a kind of quite a focus on VR. Um, would you say that, you know, maybe kind of having a startup that like is moving into VR, I mean, is, is it good to kind of have a startup in something that's kind of quite fresh and quite new and still kind of finding its feet? Yes, I definitely think so. I think it's much easier to focus on a on an emerging platform. Uh, I had the chance to do that with, with mobile games. I realized when I was in, in school that you know I, I my friend came in, one of my best friends, he came in with we were studying at the same school and he showed me his new Nokia 6110. That was a marvel of Ooh, technology at that point. He was the coolest yeah, guy yeah, yeah, he in was. school. Was like, you could, it wouldn't break, you know, <laughs> last still, for weeks. They're still around, they still work yeah, today. They do. <laughs> uh, but the big thing is that it had multiplayer snake on it. And so you could play against each other. And I was, as a gamer, I realized that this is going to be huge. You know, everybody's going to play games on their phones. And I have to quit school instantly to <laughs> seize this opportunity. What did your parents say to that? Yeah, they were Not very so skeptical about the whole idea. <laughs> uh, I played Snake. I've got to quit school now, yeah, Mom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it actually took quite much longer time than I had expected as a tech geek. I was like, technology is here, case proven. You know, this is going to be huge. It, it did become huge eventually, but it took much longer than I expected. But my, my point is that if you go in very early in, in a, a platform, a new platform where you see uh, something new happening, the, the big companies are not going to go for it until it is an opportunity. Mm. And they, they quite often miss out uh, these uh, disruptive technologies because they have their revenues uh, they stick tied doing up. with what they're doing yeah, exactly. they're I mean, making money. So. Yeah, they, they yeah. make 100% of their money here. And then they have something else on the side, and there is no money in VR at this point yet. Mm -hmm. So they wait until it's established, and they'll take their brands over there eventually, which is probably the right. I mean, would you say, like, as a startup, because it's because it's emerging, you almost can kind of like jump ahead. Like, if you have a like good idea and you execute, you can sort of like jump ahead a few places. Whereas if you kind of go to something that's already quite established, you still have to kind of slowly work your way up. Is that yeah. a slower process, would you say? Well. As, I mean, as a startup, one of your big uh, strengths is that you're much faster than anyone else. For a big company, if you're working with teams of 100, you can't just go in one day and say, hey, I have an idea. Let's do this instead. And everybody is like, oh, yeah, let's do it. And drop whatever we're doing. Uh, like, you do that a few times, and you have a mutiny going on, I guess. But in a startup, that's, that's OK. Like, we've done that a couple of times. Like, no. We're working on something, and then we realize that this feels much fresher, and this is a better idea, and we quit and start something else. Um, yeah. And that's, that's one of the strengths that I think you have to kind of um, utilize as a, as a small startup. 
I mean, okay, so for maybe some of the guys out there who maybe aren't quite ready to sort of jump in and do their own thing, I mean, could you talk through some of, uh, you know, your time at King and how it was actually, was it enjoyable working in a place that did have that kind of structure? I mean, there's obviously pluses and minuses to each kind of possible route. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, definitely I, I enjoyed, uh, as I said before, getting that, that data on, on knowing more on, on how these big games perform and, and the information on how they were uh, being built up. And also had a lot of, I got a lot of uh, great colleagues and network from, from that time as well. So it, it can be good. It, um, the downside of it, if you want to be an entrepreneur, is that you get used to have you know, salary at a certain level, level. that you're probably not going to get <laughs> in a startup. To be honest, for yeah. some time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, at um, at Resolution, how do you kind of keep things creative? You know, how do you sort of bring out that uh, within your team? Like, do you have any kind of techniques or, or ways to kind of keep everyone kind of motivated and thinking up ideas all the time? Yeah, I have a, I have a couple of different things that uh, I've. <laughs> amassed as, as experience when it comes to creativity. <clears throat> and one of the things is just keeping the, the team small. One of the things that Scandinavia is pretty good at is, is having very flat organizations. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I've worked with some British people and you like more to have this, you know, he's the boss and he told me yeah. to do something and I'll do that. Yeah. Uh, and that works really good if you have a bigger structure, you, you need more hierarchy, uh, basically. But. <clears throat> One of the things that with the small company is very good is that the games team, I like to keep them about eight people so everybody can speak directly to each other, be in the same room, and you have this, one of the things that I like to explain to is so you have an idea, and somebody else says, yeah, but we can do this, and, and it grows, and you say, okay, and then it starts becoming better and better. And I really love that, and that's the people I like to work with, uh, as opposed to, this is my idea, and you say something, and you say, like, no that wasn't in my idea, you know, and, and you really try to preserve your idea so in the end you have like an agenda where you can say, this is my game, I made this, I'm, I'm the game designer of this game. Whereas we, we try to have much flatter and everybody can, can join the, the creative process, whether you're straight out of school or you're, you've been working with a game for a really long time. One of my favorite uh, books, well, I have lots of, one great book is, is Blink, from, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Yes. So good. And he has a, a great example in there from a uh, um, military challenge. It was called Millennium Challenge 2002, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was the US, they had a new, all this new information. They had satellite things. So they were, had a new way of waging war. And they wanted to do this huge exercise where they would practice the way they would do this. So with all the information, and they, they could instantly send it to the soldiers in the field. And they needed an enemy, so they recruited an old uh, veteran, uh, Van Riper, I think his name was. Mm. And he was in Vietnam War and Second World War. It's a really old guy. And he said, you're going to be the enemy. You, know, you have AK-47s and... Yeah, and rubbish huts. stuff yeah, 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 a knife. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they simulated this thing. It was $250 million project, so it's huge. And he was head of the red team, and the red team actually won. They kicked the asses of the blue team. That was very hierarchical and was like much slower, whereas the, the red team was just giving uh, the information, like 
you know, have these cells that would be operating independently. Yeah. And that really, I felt, I, I took a lot from that, reading that, and, and uh, think that, like, that's a really good way of structuring things. And I think Supercell in Finland has kind of the same type yeah. of thinking about games. It's, it's empowering your workers to sort of make decisions on their own so they can move faster because if you're constantly waiting for an answer I was away for this weekend well I'll have to wait three days you know um, you, yeah. you needed to have that sort of confidence as well to kind of just run run with something yeah and it's also much more fun to work that way you, you feel that people are, are listening to your ideas and, and uh, you know, being inspired is, is a large part of, of creating great content so talk us through, how did you pick your first two uh, game ideas for resolution? <coughs> what, what was the kind of the process behind that? Um, well, we, um, we prototyped a lot of different things. We actually started out doing like an exercise bike type of game. You'd be on an exercise oh, bike right. and we I thought you meant like actually and... doing exercise bike to think of ideas. No, no, no. <laughs> so we actually, we made a game where you would sit, you would use the exercise bike as a controller. And uh, yeah, that, it kind of worked and it didn't work and you'd be all sweaty and it's like, nah, it's, it's not <laughs> I don't want to test this game anymore because we're going to no. be on a bike a lot. Let's yeah. get it. It's fun, but yeah, so we, we tested a lot of different things. Um, we made the first solitaire gesture game in the summer uh, while we're still just four or five people. And uh, we wanted to get something out in the market so there wouldn't be all this pressure on like the first product has to perform super well. Yeah. Uh, and, and we were several people who had done solitaire games before and, and kind of liked them. So we did that. Uh, that was very nice to get that out of the way. And then we were bouncing ideas, and we came up with a fishing, fishing game idea. Um, that was something that we, we really liked. Several people of us had, had been doing a lot of fishing, and we felt that was something that would work really great in VR. One of the problems in, in games in VR right now is you can't move around freely yeah. uh, because you get nauseous if there is a discrepancy between your visual system and your inner ear. And fishing is one of those things that you sit still and, and it's still exciting. And I had a, a friend uh, from the games industry that he had been carrying around a, a fishing idea for about 10 years. Yeah. Uh, so I contacted him and asked if he wanted to join us and he, he did. So that was like the, the origin of that. And we released bait um, that game's called uh, six weeks ago or something like that. Hmm. I mean, would you say, um, to jump to a slightly different topic, but um, I mean, would you say kind of running a startup is more personally rewarding than, you know, working at a larger, working at a larger company, do you think? Or is it just rewarding in a different way? Yeah, I would definitely say it's more personally rewarding hmm. um, because you, you get to, to work the culture from yourself and and uh, you you get very personally involved which is terrible if it's going badly poorly <laughs> like I've yeah. been um, but great really, when it's going good. yeah so I have a lot of experience when my my games and startups haven't been doing fantastically and that's really crushing uh, on your <laughs> ego and, and everything. Uh, but it, 
when it's do for, for most of the time, like it's just so much fun to work in that type of environment. So I, I, I really love it. Even even if you don't have all the money set and everything, it's still. Okay. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, the Stugan. Am I pronouncing that right? The Stugan yeah, program. Do you great. guys know about this? He basically takes, <laughs> like him personally, takes <laughs> 20 developers into the woods, into a cabin for seven weeks. Uh, it was eight weeks last year. Oh, sorry, year, eight, yeah. eight weeks last year. Um, it does sound a little bit like the beginning of a horror movie, but I would watch that horror movie. But um, So the first one was, um, <laughs> was um, last year. Um, how did it go? Sort of, how did you find it? Uh, it was fantastic, extremely rewarding. We had some amazingly talented people there. A lot of them from the UK, accidentally. Um, uh, so, yeah, it was one of the project that came out of uh, nowhere, my friend Oscar <laughs> approached me and said, like, I have this idea, and he had some slides, and it, it uh, was very similar to something that I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, what, locking some developers in a cabin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he, he wanted to do, like, a summer camp, and I had been uh, kind of inspired by uh, uh, Andy Warhol's The Factory, basically oh, okay, is bringing... Yeah brilliant minds together and, and uh, working in parallel with them. And uh, I think that'd be a super interesting creative yeah. environment. And I have gone to a couple of think tanks. That's been fantastic. One uh, mental institution in, in, uh, in Ulu, in like the northern part of Finland, three meters snow, locked into this, uh, you know, <laughs> really like one flew into the cocoa nest. Cocoon's nest, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so an actual mental institution. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it was now, you, it was now like remade into a, a conference facility. Really. Wow, okay. Exotic place. And, and, and being there with other really smart game designers was super inspiring. I got some of my really best ideas from that. So yeah, we decided to do that and, and find funding from other successful people in the games industry. So uh, mostly privately funded from people just donating money to, to this uh, interesting experiment. And it turned out really well. We had the first game uh, from Stugan launching a couple of months ago. Prism became oh, yeah. one of the most downloaded uh, games on iOS. So um, have you chosen more. who's going to be doing it this year? Have you, have you picked everyone yes, yet? Yes, we, we have. Yeah, so this just uh, application just closed and we have, we're set up for year two starting in July. You should just, you should big brother the style of it. Like, it's like you could only have the ham sandwiches if you make a really good game. Go. And then just like Twitch stream it. I'd watch that. <laughs> yeah, it could be quite fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, even maybe they can have ham sandwiches, but just even just streaming it on Twitch would be quite interesting. I mean, you'd, you'd watch that, right? See what kind of all this behind closed doors, like 20 developers. Yeah, it was super interesting uh, seeing what, what what came out. We, we did a little bit of YouTubing from, from last year. We'll definitely try to do more so, so it's easier to follow. It's like super uh, great environment to create uh, great things in. Um, you get so inspired by having other people approaching their problem, but you have the same type of, of uh, struggles. Okay, I'm going to sort of jump slightly here. Um, so from working at, you know, in mobile, what, what kind of things have you learned from working in that kind of field and then now jumping to VR? Is there anything you can kind of that's transferable from mobile to VR or is there some things that just don't 
translate at all into the world of VR? Well, it is uh, different, and it's also similar. I think uh, I, I tend to look at games as not being, like being rather platform agnostic. So it's, yeah. it's a, a great game is a great game on whatever yeah. platform it is. Yeah. Uh, mobile games have done a lot of great things that I mentioned that have been very accessible. They're very social. You have a great game, you show it to somebody. Uh, whereas console games are much more isolated, something you do at home and your sofa. Mm. Um, and VR is somewhere in between. We don't really know. We think that VR is probably going to be, uh, you're going to play that in a safe environment at least. You're not going to play it in the subway here. Because I mean, you, you could, but things yeah, might happen. Your wallet will not <laughs> be there, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, people are going to take crazy pictures of you and stuff. So, so uh, VR is, is more similar to a console experience in that, in that sense, that it's something that you can do at home. And, and it takes much more, uh, I call it activation energy, to put this headset on. Mm. You know, like you need to have. Sometimes Extra time, to, yeah. yeah. Okay, this is time when I play my game, and then you put it on, and you are isolated for a while. Uh, but I think one of the things that smartphone games taught me is that I think it's very modern way um, where the game puts your situation in the center. Mm -hmm. uh, so you never see from a mobile game that. You can't you can't save right now or you can't pause the game. Yeah. You have to complete this. Yeah, yeah. Which is super common in, in console games still. Like um, you need stop to stop talking, why can't I save? Yeah. I need to make a cup of tea. Someone's at the door. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, as a so family man, I, that, that's a situation that works rarely. I, yeah. I I can't play a game and my kids need me and I'm sort of no. Like, get, away. <laughs> get away. So I definitely think that there is a lot of things that you can yeah, so be inspired by, by smartphone <laughs> games when, when making uh, VR games. But VR is, is, a, is a very different beast. And it's going to be tough if you have small kids and pets. They're going to they're gonna fly around. You're going to be like, is it a child a or a dog? Or... I don't know what's happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> the, the environment is... Uh, it, you've probably seen a lot of videos from, from Wii uh, Sports when somebody flicks their controller into... It's a really expensive TV. Yeah, or, or they hit their kid by mistake. <laughs> Sorry. And that's going to be 10 times worse in VR because you can't actually see anything. So if you're playing a fighting game and somebody walks into your room, yeah. they're going to be in massive trouble. Um. And that's a, that's a really... Big it's actually, concern. Yeah. Like if you have, if you injure somebody severely, which you can, if you hold a, a Vive controller, and you're thinking that you're swinging a bat and you accidentally oh, hit yeah. somebody, that's not going to be fun. It might be fun in a YouTube clip, and then you don't know those people. <laughs> but in your real life, it's going to be a yeah. huge thing. Um, I was actually trying out HTC's Vive, and I not only nearly touched uh, my BBC producer somewhere I shouldn't, um, I also punched the camera. It did not go down well. It did not go down well at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is tricky because you get immersed into yeah. the virtual world. You're there, you don't see anything around you, and you, you expect the space to be clear. And even if you're an adult, you forget. I had, we had one situation where we had a, clean, a room that was entirely clean, and we, we had like that 
but I just I went in there and I forget I forgot to close the door, and I oh, never yeah. thought about that that the door would then stick out and then it wouldn't <laughs> see me. And all of a sudden I mean, I didn't hit it that hard, but, but still. it got me like really startled and, and scared. I mean I don't know. Like, obviously like after playing like HTC's Vive, I was like wow it's just like a hollow deck. It's amazing, you know. And obviously no one actually has a lounge that big in the UK. Let's be honest, it's more like this big. Um, <laughs> But this is what I was thinking. I was thinking maybe there'll be a point where we'll start seeing like VR, like arcades. Like instead of going away for a spa weekend, you like go to like a big country house with your mates and you play four player Borderlands or something, but in VR. Come yeah. on, hands up, who would do that? Okay, I would. Yeah, like seriously, seriously. How many have seen uh, like the trailer from The Void? Oh no. Not very many, a few. So The Void is, it's a, a guy in Utah called Ken. He's the CEO of that. He's, they, they have a startup and they're calling The Void. And yeah. The Void is the first setup they have. He spent like 13 million of his private money into this so far. Mm. And it's just this enormous, uh, they call it a platform. So it's, it's like, it's a, it's a big house basically mm. where they're set up so you can walk around. So you have, you have, you can do different uh, games in this space. Yeah. You walk with your friends there and you shop monsters. Check it out on YouTube, it's super cool. And they will take that exact same thing and they will yeah. replicate it in like- Different cities. Yeah, outside London and there you go. And, and, yeah, that's that's really be, cool. Because before, what cool. they used to have, if you didn't know, in the Trocadero, was it was more like live action stuff. So they had one called Alien War. Maybe a bit before your time. Alien was amazing. So in the Trocadero, in Piccadilly Circus, just in one of the rooms, you'd go in and it was like a replica of like the internal, like, well, like one of the ships. And then you get chased basically by aliens. Someone gets pulled out through a lift and taken away and killed. And then you run out and then you're just in the middle of a shopping center and everyone looks at you really weird. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, ah! Oh, it's Starbucks, it's a bit weird. Yeah, cool. so, um, cool. yeah, I, I, would, I would genuinely go away for a weekend. Because maybe it's like, you know, you have... You're kind of more kind of standing still VR using a controller or gesture controls in your home, but then when you play your big games, your favourite games, that's when you go somewhere special for the weekend. Yeah. yeah. No, I definitely think cool. that's something that uh, is going to happen, and then people are gonna. I'm do really that. excited. Be, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> calm down. <laughs> so. Um, why was it so important for you? This is like one final question. I think we're going to throw it open to some Q&A. I think I'm going to overrun like moderately. Um, why was it so important for you for Resolution just to, to focus mainly on VR? Why, what made you make that decision, really? Uh, well, it started, to be frank, with just me and my friend Martin saying, like, oh, it would be cool to make VR we're in games. The pub. Sounds like no, a pub no, decision. No, 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 we're nerds. Yeah, we, we should do, do that. Right. We're that. In Sweden, we sit in front of our laptops or something <laughs> uh, and we felt like oh let's let's do VR games so I was like oh okay and then uh, we started doing that uh, and then we got contacted by by investors and, and things and then eventually we realized like all right VR is going to be huge yeah and I've been interested in VR ever since I mid 90s or something I tried uh a VR arcade machine, and I was blown away. I was like, oh, this is gonna so be a future big game. big one with the ring round it, yeah, where you yeah. had like that weird joystick controller and yeah, everything yeah. looked like a kitchen showroom. Yeah, we, there was only like 300 made, and we had one of them in Sweden, and it was like, I played this multiplayer game, that was supposed to be four, but we only had one, so you couldn't, so. Just me. Yeah, me. <laughs> you could sh uh, shoot versus uh, uh, AI good. opponents, but it wasn't that good. But I was, I was totally, 
at that point convinced that VR is going to be the future of games. And, and now when I saw it in the Samsung Gear, I felt like, okay, this is kind of a consumer-worthy product. So. Yeah. And uh, working with it, we realized like, oh, this is going to be much, much bigger than we originally thought because VR is going to be for so much more things than only games. Mm. If you look, education is one of the things that uh, convinced me the most. If you, if you think that you are experiencing something, everything else, the written word, you know, cave painting, that's abstraction. So yeah. like your brain has to process, you know, this yeah. is a force. Whereas if you see it in VR, you're experiencing it. You are thinking, I'm here, this is, you know, somebody speaking to me in French, for instance, yeah. and you can answer them. And that's gonna be great for your memory and, and your learning experience. So VR is gonna revolutionize education because education is gonna be much faster. You can learn something quicker. So that convinced me that VR is going to be really great. And in the core, it's all game technology. It's building virtual worlds, right? You have to work with voice acting. You have to work with characters and rooms and everything. That's, that's, our, that's what we do. That's, so we're going to be needed for the rest of the society, not only for education Legit. or entertainment. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. I think we're going to chuck out to some questions if we've got time, if anyone has anything they'd like to ask uh, Tommy, or the gentleman here. Um, you mentioned that in, in Sweden that the organizations tend to be less sort of hierarchical than they are here. In a small team like your own, at what stage in the conversation do you bring up music and how do you approach the question, if you, if you are going to use music in your game, how do you approach that in your team? Well, we have... Uh, we have a music and sound guy who's dedicated to that. And, and the sound especially is super important for VR. It, it really helps with immersion and, and, uh, and presence and uh, convincing your brain that you are there. So, so he is an intricate part. We only have one for the two teams, so we share him. <laughs> So uh, he tends to be in, in all the conversations, and then we, we tend to think about that in the game design, that it can be really good with having sound sources moving around, for instance. Or this is a great uh, example of the um, big dinosaur walking around. Instead of you just making the sounds um, coming from the dinosaur, you actually have to, like, the sound source has to be his feet hitting the ground, because if you look there, he's a big, you can actually hear the difference. So, um, yeah, you mentioned um, students briefly. Um, how do you feel about taking interns you and talent acquisition, or do you, do you take interns still, or students? Yes, I do. I, I, uh, we try to always have a couple of uh, master thesis students, typically. Uh, working with us. It's a problem now because I want to keep the studio really small, so I don't want to grow anymore. <laughs> and, and I only take interns because I want to hire them. So um, I, we're 19 now. I said we're going to stop when we're about 22. So uh, I don't know what to do <laughs> at that point. But, but in general, that's been just super uh, rewarding both ways. Um, students are often much faster at adopting new technologies and, and new uh, ways of working with things and uh, just makes sense if you're doing a new platform, for instance. And it helped me uh, motivate myself 
working harder as well. Um, you have somebody who puts in the hours. As a, I have kids, and I have a home situation where I need to pick up the kids from school every now and then, and I go home, and it's very easy to not use those last hours when the kids are asleep. But if you have some students still sitting at it, working, pinging you, it's like easier to go back. And, <laughs> and I, I really enjoy working hard with, with the things that I do. So it's a, it's a great combination. I think the, it's perfect when you have like the diversity in the team in general. That's another question? Yeah, go for it. Oh, cool. Um, so, uh, Universities now, we do like placement years, and so after second year, you would go into academic or a working year. Um, do you recommend students look for actual placements in companies, or do you recommend maybe starting their own business um, or trying to for a year? How do you feel about startups in your placement? It's it's uh, it's always difficult to recommend people to do like I. I, startup is something you have to know that so much that this is what I want to do because it's going to be a lot of misery as well, <laughs> yeah, very likely. So, but the upsides are fantastic if you can pull it off. That that's so. But you have to know for yourself. I think it's probably the safer route to go to a company first and learn the ropes. But it's going to be very likely that you're never going to leave that safe environment. So it depends on how much of a how much risk you're willing to put in there. Um, as the stigma around kind of like games and the whole industry is, is kind of fading out a lot more, gaming's a bit more acceptable. Um, you can kind of like see that there's now like a lot more independent studios and a lot more casual games as well, kind of like being developed. Particularly like when you see mobile games, you can say they're a lot more casual because you can pick them up and take them when, whenever you want. Um, but would you say then that the market's kind of like changed now, particularly for like independent studios to kind of create more casual games? Is, is that a better kind of direction for them to go about? I, I think, you know, the, the, more, the more people there are in the market, the more uh, opportunity there are for niche games as well. And I, I just love seeing Steam and this like truck simulator, <laughs> like you know, this Siberia you're driving in the forest in your truck and you have to, it's, it's just very refreshing to see that there is room for, for all that type of thing. So I, casual games is, is, is a, it's a huge market and I think there's a lot of room for much more games there, and especially more um, game mechanics. Right now there is typically only very few mechanics. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the more people get into gaming, the more diverse it will become. I think it's probably just, I guess, it's important to maybe not to think about where the trends are going so much. I mean, I suppose initially it's probably more important, I guess, to just be really passionate about whatever your idea is, you know? And then that's probably the best way of learning rather than sort of thinking, well, that's quite popular and if I make something sort of casual if you want to make like a super weird niche thing there's bound to be someone else out there who wants to play your super weird niche thing I would probably be one of those people and, and if you look at this historically I think we've typically seen a lot uh, you know people tend to make games that they would love to play and it has been a lot of like young boys in their garage making games for themselves 
So a lot of games have been like by males for males. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy to see that that's starting to change slowly. We're getting more uh, uh, female developers in as well. And, and uh, I love to see those. Sometimes we get them to studio like all group of girls. It's still very rare, unfortunately. More girls. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. When talking about VR and where it lies between console and mobile, you said that you hope it's more accessible and a bit less niche than, than console is. But when you look at it at the moment, and the Oculus is double the price of a console and things like that, and they're still very expensive, and the, I think that's a barrier for large groups of people to get in there. How long do you think it will take for VR technology to come down in price to a more acceptable range like smartphones are now? Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I'm very uh, <coughs> bullish about mobile VR. Because then you already ha you you bought your mobile phone for another reason, so that's the majority of the cost, and then you need just a rather cheap headset, and that's a much more accessible way of of, uh, of getting VR. Th there is two things that is missing from mobile VR at this moment. I mean, with mobile phones today, you can make like amazing looking games. So so the visual is is basically not a problem anymore. So it's more two things, it's, it's positional tracking, so we can know exactly where mm. your head is in comparison to the real, uh, or the virtual world. <laughs> um, and the second thing is like 3D input controllers, like preferably you wanna see your hands, and if you, use the, if you use a camera attached to your headset, you can typically see your hands if you're doing this, but you don't wanna do this all the time, you wanna do this, mm. and then your hands are obscuring your fingers. And I haven't yet seen I, I think there were people who are going to solve it, but there is not a solution today. But looking two years ahead, smart people will. Pretty cool. Cool. Well, um, thank you. So I think we've run out of time now. I've probably gloriously overshot time-wise. It's literally my one job, just to keep to time. But never mind. Um, but can we have a big round of applause uh, for Tommy Barnard? That was Tommy Palmer, co-founder of Resolution Games, kicking off Guru Live 2016. Three days of talks and discussion panels with the leading names in film, TV and games. If you want to hear more from people like Tommy, listen to our annual games lectures from co-creator of Assassin's Creed, Jade Raymond, in 2015, and creator of Metal Gear, Hideo Kojima, in 2014. Just head to bafta.org forward slash guru or search your podcast app of choice.